Yeah, I remember I remember selecting Bill Lester on one of the NASCAR games. Um, and I didn't think about it until, you know, maybe a year or two ago, but like how representation mattered. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna race as Bill Lester. You know, I think that's pretty cool. Um, but I've gotten to know, know Bill over the last handful of years. Uh, it's been a little bit since I've talked to him, but he's a massive supporter of mine, so I appreciate him. He, um, he understands it, uh, he gets it, and he keeps me motivated for sure. Wendell Scott. He did every. I mean, he he drove the car exactly what he did exactly what the car wanted him to do. He got out early. It was it looked like a little tight, but he kept in the throttle and he got a good lap. And wow, way to go! Bill. There you go. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is former NASCAR driver Bill Lester, and you're listening to Victory Lane Vibes. Welcome to another episode of Victory Lane Vibes. We are your hostesses with the mostesses. I'm Jared. We have Danny. We have Art. We have Carl. And we have a special guest. Uh, we told you we were going to get these uh, these interviews for Black History Month, like Infinity Stones. And uh, I think you guys are going to be really proud of the of this one here. So um, I'd like to introduce to to the masses, Mr. Bill Lester. How are you doing today, sir? Um, excellent. Looking forward to joining you guys, having a little bit of fun, chopping it up. Yeah. Absolutely. We've uh, we've been looking forward to this one for a couple of weeks, so um, we're chomping at the bit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, I guess we'll just start with who's Bill Lester? Where where have you been? What you've been doing? How you been giving back to the racing community? And then um, I, I'll have Carl kick us off with uh, the round robin questions. The thing that I've done most recently um, of any significance, I would say, is wrote a motivational memoir called Winning in Reverse. And I'm sure you guys are going to ask me why the title, and I'll get to that. But um, I did it because I never had the desire to be an author. But on the racing scene, when I was, you know, doing it on the regular, and I would always have sponsors to entertain because that's the lifeblood of the sport. I would have the opportunity to talk to, you know, sponsor um, clients, guests, employees, that sort of thing. And they would always ask me, you know, how did you get into NASCAR, right? Because I grew up in Northern California and I'm basically a formerly a road racer, not, not a NASCAR, you know, roundy round driver. So they would like, you know, at 40 years of age, when I showed up on the scene, it's like, how did you get here? You came out of basically nowhere. You know, what, what's that about? And so I would tell them about my story and they would all have this look, you know, of being dumbfounded on their face with their, you know, jaws on the ground talking about, that's just a phenomenal story. you got to tell that story. And I'm like, because they said it's so motivational. And I'm like, oh, really? And, I, you know, for me, it's not motivational because all I see is the struggle, right? I had a hard time through my career seeing the forest through the trees. It was always about the destination and not the journey. And had I done it over again, I really would have probably tried to take a little bit more time to enjoy the journey. But for me, it was all about getting to where I needed to go, which was we went into the top, you know, sports or top forms of the sport in our country. 
Um, and at the time when I was younger, it was IndyCars, you know, but NASCAR just swallowed up IndyCar as far as popularity in the States was concerned. So, you know, if I was going to commit myself to being a professional race car driver, I wanted to race on the grand stage. So that meant NASCAR. So I would tell them about, you know, the sacrifices I made, the fact that, you know, it's not as if I woke up one day after getting an electrical engineering computer science degree and working in the high tech sector for 15 years, just up and quit and said, you know, I want to be a race car driver now. No, I mean, I really wanted to be a race car driver ever since I was just shy of eight years old when my father took me to my first race at Laguna Seca in Monterey. It was a Can-Am race. And, you know, that's really dating myself because probably most of your viewers, or I should say listeners, don't even know what the Can-Am series is. But <laughs> it was a huge, powerful series back in the day for road racing. I mean, all the heavy hitters and in, in sports cars were racing in Can-Am. You know, these cars in its heyday had a thousand horsepower and, and they barely weighed, you know, 22, 2300 pounds. So they were, their power to weight ratio was phenomenal. And so when I went to this race, when I was real young, it just set the hook. It blew me away because I knew I liked speed. I knew I loved cars, but when my father took me to a race, that set the hook. But my parents did not come from wealth and they did not understand motorsports. You know, um, my father's got a PhD in theoretical chemistry, right? So he's very white collar. He didn't understand the racing scene. You know, we understand stick and ball sports as 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 a uh, as a community, as a population of, of uh, black people. But, you know, as far as racing is concerned, my father was like, you know, what is that about? Why would you want to do that? Right. Like most people <laughs> that were black was like, why would you want to be out there racing? cars? <laughs> that was what was what I wanted to do. So in any event, to make a long story short, as soon as I got this engineering degree, um, I went to work for Hewlett Packard. And that's when I really started to see whether or not. I was as good as I thought I was doing all kinds of stupid stuff as soon as I got my driver's license. You know, I was doing the Fast and the Furious, racing people on the streets before it was a movie, right? And I wasn't doing the quarter mile or I should say even stoplight stuff. I was living in the hills of Oakland, California. And so I was doing more, you know, going around corners sideways. It was more like drifting stuff than it was, you know, stoplight stuff. But I wasn't really doing it from that perspective. I was doing it like from the standpoint that if, the posted speed limit was 30, 40 miles an hour. I, I was doing 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, right? And, <laughs> and winging it through the corners. And if I was sideways, I was sideways, right? But that's the kind of racing that I was doing. So somebody said, you know, before you kill yourself or somebody else, take it to the street. But my parents were not going to be able to be in a position to help me. That's what the engineering degree was about. Because as soon as I got that piece of paper, piece of paper, I started to work in the high-tech sector. And I thought immediately, as soon as I got, uh, you know, my amateur racing license from Sports Car Club of America and got Rookie of the Year my first year in Northern California, road racing champion for my division the second year, I thought I would immediately turn professional. Well, no, <laughs> that doesn't happen, especially when you don't have ways and means. You know, I mean, you can have all sorts of, you know, amateur um, titles and all that kind of stuff, but there's a big difference between going amateur and turning professional. And, you know, it was really my first indoctrination to knowing that networking is so important and not what you know, but who you know, people that can open doors for you and all that sort of thing. So to make a long story short, again, skipping ahead 15 years, you know, I got married in between there. My wife said, look, she said, look, hon, you're not getting any younger or any easier to live with you know, <laughs> all your time and attention. You're trying to make your dream come true or say you gave it your best shot. It wasn't meant to be. And you'd have to go back into the harsh reality of going back to the eight to five and being in corporate America. Well, we gave ourselves a three-year window by which to, you know, turn this dream into a reality. 
And lo and behold, my timing is right because this is when Dodge came out with a program in the NASCAR truck series where unlike most programs, you didn't have to bring a checkbook. All you had to do is bring your helmet. And this was basically a nationwide, you know, um, gong show, I like to call it, or search for a qualified minority driver to race in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. So that basically was my springboard to being able to tell, you know, the high tech job, see, see you later, sayonara. And uh, my ship came in and I started out at, you know, <laughs> four years of age as a rookie in NASCAR. So people said, look, tell that story. You've got to tell that story more often. And that's what caused me to write a book called Winning in Reverse. Now, it's not my autobiography. I'm not that important. But I think the lessons that I learned and that I, you know, expound upon people are things that anybody, no matter what your walk of life is, no matter what your passion is, these are keys to help you become successful in what it is you want to do. You know, I, like I said, identify eight of them. One of them is to identify what your passion is. Another is like getting out of your comfort zone. Another is like I was just mentioning the power of networking. One is like another is gratitude, you know, and being thankful for the things that have happened to you and taking the time to enjoy what you've accomplished. You know, obviously perseverance and persistence and determination are all very key. But anyway, I wrote this motivational memoir. It's been very well received. It's like five star on Amazon. And um, it's allowed me to get into the speaking circuit. So I'm a motivational speaker and I get the opportunity to, uh, you know, empower people and enthuse people and and get people to get out of their comfort zone and do what it is with their life that they want to do. So that was a very long-winded answer to a very short <laughs> Hey, what's going on, Vibe listeners? Carl here to talk to you guys for a minute about our partners over at Homefield Apparel. As we know, the racing season is already underway. We've already had two great action-packed weeks of racing, and there's no better time to start looking at new merchandise for the season than now. And that is where our friends at Homefield Apparel come into play. If you didn't already know who they are, they're a storied collegiate apparel company based out of Indianapolis, the heart of racing in North America, and they've been offering licensed apparel for a whopping 180 schools for a while now. And these are fantastic vintage designs made to fit comfortably as well. They're not going to wear out after a couple of wears. And I got to tell you, it's got me really excited for the racing collection lineup they're releasing this year. And to start it off, they're taking the green flag with the Hendrick Motorsports Collection, which is now live for pre-order on their website at homefieldapparel.com and let me tell you something they got a little something for everybody gear that pays homage to multiple areas of Hendrick Motorsports one of the most winning teams in NASCAR history featuring the likes of Jeff Gordon Jimmy Johnson old seven time and Tim Richmond Mr. Days of Thunder himself and I'll tell you guys something I went ahead I went on the website I looked at the upcoming Hendrick merch drop and I'm gonna tell you something this really highlights what Homefield excels at these shirts are original artwork there aren't recreations there's nothing that they went and found on a search engine and grabbed and reprinted they have worked closely and meticulously with Hendrick Motorsports scouring over the archives of footage and photos to accurately recreate these wonderful vintage looks and really encapsulate the era of some of NASCAR's golden years spanning from the late 80s to the 2000s these shirts are sure to turn heads and have folks asking hey did you find that at a yard sale or something so imagine their shop when you tell them that these shirts were made in 2024 and they can also get one just like it online at homefieldapparel.com 
Um, it's a sleek, really easy to use website that allows you to view not only the current and upcoming racing collections, but all their offerings as well. They even have a mobile app you can also order from. So head on over to their website, homefieldapparel.com, and be sure to use our code VLB24. The Hendrick Collection is live right now for pre-order. You can go over there, you can look at everything, see what you want, and hey, by the way, when you get it, tag us on Twitter. Let us know what you got it. VL Vibes Podcast. It's time to let your racing apparel not just say that you're a racing fan, but let it shout it. Again, that's code VLV24 for 15% off at homefieldapparel.com. Uh, it's awesome. The, the people need to hear that the impact that you still have on the motorsports world. So um, that was a really, a really great answer to a really seemingly easy question, but uh, we definitely appreciate that. No problem. Um, We're out of time yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, no. You that yet? <laughs> Garth, what you got? Oh man, I got too much. Um, uh, so, so something I do on the show is uh, I, I joke around a lot. Um, uh, I do a lot of humor and bits. I do have to ask you before we get any kind of serious conversation. With you being a UC Berkeley grad, uh, did you watch Oppenheimer this past summer when it came out? I actually just watched it recently. And now that it's streaming, ah. I didn't go to the theater, but yeah, okay, you know, okay, okay. On Netflix or whatever it was on. Yeah, I just the way my mind works sometimes is like I'll see something and if it has an NASCAR connection, I'm like, oh yeah. And so when I went to go see it, the person I saw it with, I was like, you know, Bill Lester, who out of context, she was like, who is that? Uh, also went to UC Berkeley and I was like, you know, crazy how stuff works out. And she's like, what? And I was like, I don't know. And so anyway, when this opportunity came and after I listened to your um, dinner with racer, uh, Ruth racers interview, I was like, I need to ask him just out of curiosity if you saw that. But anyway, um, I got I, I had a lot of questions for you. Um, but one thing I really wanted to ask, did you have a good time this weekend? It seemed like or this past weekend, because it seemed like after all these years, you finally kind of got to have a bit of a homecoming Atlanta with like the history that happened there. Some, I don't know, it's been what, uh, over 18 years ago now. Yeah. It's, that's yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it, so my first question, do you have a good time this weekend? Cause it looks like, I mean, you know, you were really, really enjoying it, man. Yeah, I did. I did have a good time because I very frequently go to the racetrack. You know, yeah. it's almost like for, you know, a former race car driver going to the track is kind of like, you know, twisting the knife. Right. Because you, <laughs> yeah. you still no matter if you have it or not, you still feel like you do have it. You could be out there. You could be enjoying it. You remember what it was like to be you know, behind the wheel in competition and the adrenaline and all that kind of stuff. So I usually don't go personally. I usually watch it um, on TV. I am a racing fan of motorsports and racing. So I watch, you know, my wife will tell you an absurd amount of racing on TV. So <laughs> I'm watching it from the comfort of my home, but right. let me tell you what I enjoyed the most about it. What I enjoyed the most about it was that when I was on the scene, I didn't hardly see anybody that looked like us out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I called, you know, the fans closet NASCAR fans because until, you know, somebody who looks like us shows up on the scene we typically don't go out there because we don't feel, you know, comfortable out there. We don't feel like we are wanted out there. I mean, I can tell you when I went to like my first real NASCAR race in person, it was at Talladega in 1990. I went there for the sole purpose of meeting a brother who was highly positioned, 
with uh, Sears and the Die Hard brand. And I think it was the Sears Die Hard 500 at Talladega, whatever it was at the time. And I remember going from the car in the parking lot, walking up the grandstands. And man, first off, it's already 90 or so degrees with you know humidity <laughs> that's off the chain. And I felt it like it must have been 130 degrees out there because everybody stopped talking, fingers started pointing as I was ascending the grandstands to head up to the suites to meet this guy. And I was like, holy cow. You know, I mean, it was like I was an anomaly in the grandstand. So that was my very first indoctrination to NASCAR. You know, I had seen it when I was younger on ABC's Wide World of Sports. And, you know, it wasn't very interesting to me from the standpoint, all the Confederate flags that were being, you know, um, <laughs> waving in the breeze and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And a bunch yeah. of guys that didn't look like me or sound like me with Southern drawls. And, you know, again, I come from a road racing background where I thought racing cars meant turning right, turning left, upshift, downshift, you know, braking and all that kind of stuff not dropping into fourth gear and turning left. So, you know, I, I didn't really understand NASCAR and it's, a, you know, it's a factuation. And, you know, at that point there were no safer walls or, you know, Hans devices or anything like that. So, you know, these guys were hitting the concrete walls at a hundred some odd miles an hour and, you know, lucky to be able to crawl out of the car. So I just did not understand what NASCAR was about. So needless to say, fast forward the clock a long way. And, you know, here I am trying to get involved in NASCAR, but, when I did get involved in NASCAR, there were not a lot that looked like me. But what I did see was a kind of like a changing in the hue, because when I was on the scene for a little bit of time, I saw a whole lot more folks coming out and supporting me. And when I made my cup debut in 2006 at Atlanta Motor Speedway, I saw a bunch of us and I couldn't believe the outpouring support, especially like through, you know, media channels of black folks that were just so proud of me and happy that I was out there and all that sort of stuff. And so it was cool, but it was nothing like what I experienced this past weekend at this race at AMS, because I saw us almost in droves. I mean, I'm telling you that when I was on the scene, I had to look long and hard to find anybody black who was on a pit crew, let alone black team owners like Jordan or, you know, um, a driver like Bubba and just all of the fans that were out there and having a good time and, you know, being accepted from everything that I saw. And, you know, NASCAR even has a program where they've got, um, I would say maybe it's called like the NASCAR, um, I don't know, SZN or whatever. I don't even know what the name of it is, but it's the first time I experienced it. And the only reason I experienced it is because a, a guy who I know there is a um, former crew member. He does a lot of uh, community outreach stuff. And so he was dragging me around and I was talking to boys and, you know, kids from boys and girls club. And that was fun. And, you know, I was also interacting with the folks from the black NASCAR fans group on Facebook and, you know, took pictures with them and interacted with them. And that was a lot of fun, but just all of the folks that I saw out there was just so overwhelming to me. It was just, it, it was inspiring. It was uh, a source of, of pride because I know that I was part of the catalyst for change, you know? So and of course, it was always good to see Bubba. Bubba and I have gone, you know, go back a long way. And so we had a chance to see each other right before, he, you know, he put his helmet on and, you know, wished him luck and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we were in fairly constant um, communication with each other. We text back and forth. I don't really get on the phone and holler at him because, you know, I already know what the life of a cup driver is and you don't have much free time. So I don't bother him. But, you know, I will encourage him, tell him things that I've seen that, you know, I, I, I try to uh, 
encourage him to continue to do and things that, you know, he maybe he might want to think differently about or whatever the case is. You know, so I enjoy that uh, relationship I have with him. I think he's doing a wonderful job behind the wheel and, and moving the ball forward in the sport. I think that him being in the sport now has been extremely timely with the whole Black Lives Matter movement having been, you know, taking place effectively at its um, zenith right when he was on the scene. You know, that was a huge platform for him. And, you know, it was through his efforts that the Confederate flag was banned. So that was something I would never have thought I would have seen in my lifetime. So to see that and for him to do what he's doing has been tremendous. But, you know, needless to say, we all know about the um, emotional, you know, toll that's been taken on him. And I've been, you know, trying to encourage him to, you know, hey, man, take a breath. Don't worry about the haters and all that kind of stuff. You know, he knows that. But I think it probably means a little bit more coming from somebody like me who's done it. You know, I've yeah. been in his shoes. So I think it carries a little bit more weight. But in any event, no, I, I enjoyed being out there. That's not going to be something that I'm going to continue to do. I, I still give back to the sport by being on the NASCAR appeals panel. And, you know, a lot of people were like uh, tripping off the fact that I was part of the appeals panel where, you know, Hendrick was called for that part. That, yeah. You know, yeah, that yeah. whole scenario. Yeah, yeah. And I was part of that panel during that period of time. And people were joking around, talking about, yeah, you know, he's going to have a job with Hendrick now. Now that you did, you know, no, yeah, but people, 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 listen, people don't realize <laughs> what went on behind the scene. There were a lot of gray areas and it wasn't as cut and dry as people thought it was. You know, people were like, how can they be let off the hook? You know, the rules are the rules, the blah, 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 blah. Well, if NASCAR doesn't communicate some of these things effectively, then the rules aren't quite the rules. And the efforts yeah. that Hendricks made to make sure that they were in the rules did not get timely responses. So I'm going to say that and leave it alone because I don't <laughs> want any of this to, you know, go sideways. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, to say it was good to be there. Yeah, I remember um, you talk about the Facebook group, and, and I'm in there with you, and and I think we all are actually. And I remember when that when that verdict came down, and people were grilling you about it, and I'm just like, it, he it, the panel is more than just Bill Lesser, <laughs> and they obviously reached that decision, you know, as a whole. You know, like I said, and I, I just I felt really bad about for it. I was like, man, you know, this guy is like nice enough to talk to us all the time, and here they are, like, how could you do, you know, X, Y, and Z, so. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's really great to hear though. I'm, I'm so glad, um, you know, because for so long, like every time we go to Atlanta, especially like what I call like post post Bubba, which Bubba has been in the cup series for six years now, but post, you know, 2020, I really felt like they really had a lot of chances to bring that up and they kind of, you know, kind of, you know, flirted with it a bit. Cause I think NASCAR is still in a space where, um, they're, they're really kind of afraid a little bit of fan backlash to fully embrace and have those conversations and, and just say like, look, this is who we are now. So they kind of skirt around it this year. They dove in feet first. Um, a great friend of ours, uh, Phil was at the race this week and he sent us some pictures of the, um, the, the trailer that, that you're on um, talking about the history and stuff like that and just kind of marveling all that stuff. And it was really cool to see. So um, yeah, I'm so glad it's so great to go so great to hear you had a good time this weekend and you were there and got to enjoy that and got to take that all that in and a celebration and stuff like that. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. I was really floored when they had that NASCAR like heritage trailer that you were. Yeah. yeah, yes, it was, yeah. And uh, you know, I'm on the outside of it. I'm also featured on the inside of it and what have you. And that's something I didn't even know existed, you know, so that kind of blew me away. I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> like NASCAR fans posted a picture of it. I was like, what, what, 
what trailer are you talking about? So it was good to see that for myself and what have you. But, um, you know, NASCAR has been making strides. But again, they have to be very careful. They don't want, you know, um, backlash and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and there are yeah. a lot of fans now that are talking about, well, you know, people of color are now getting too many opportunities. And I'm like, really? Are you serious? Oh, like, yeah. Why don't we just level <laughs> the playing field and, and stop with the okie doke, you know? But yeah. listen, they feel threatened. And, you know, they're going to sit there and lash out. We already know that this country is so divided that, um, you know, those that are, um, let's say, very, very extreme, um, they're not afraid to, to say how they feel. Let's put it yep. like that. You know, yep. so they stick their chests out and, 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 you know, they typically say stuff without any fear of repercussion or anything like that. You know, I wish we had the same level of freedom. You know, we don't. Yeah. You know, we always have to kind of have some, you know, checks and balances to some degree. And typically, you know, a lot of those folks that I'm talking about are just going half cocked off the rails, off the, you know, off the hinges. And, you know, there's no ramifications for it. But anyway, you know, I, I hope things will continue to change. I see the landscape of the sport changing. And I'm, you know, I'm happy that that's the case. Yeah, definitely. Danny, I know that your background uh, is from Bill's primary background. Um, I know you probably have some questions about his his road racing career. What you got? Absolutely, I do. I've been licking my chops the whole time, practically. But um, <laughs> but uh, but yes, it was you know so funny. You know, you mentioned uh, you know talking about Can Am and stuff. I run our second show, which primarily focuses on. Uh, these days it's mostly sports car racing we make forays in the open wheel but those are becoming increasingly sparing um but the big thing is uh you won at vir in 2011 um which uh makes you the you were the first uh, african-american to uh do so in uh, the rolex uh, sports car series um and i think you uh jordan taylor if i remember correctly was uh your number two in that um but just talk a little bit about certainly kind of i guess both uh halves, if you will, of uh, your sports car career, you know, pre-NASCAR and then post. Yeah, sure. Like, you know, I said, I, I when I was in NASCAR, I was basically, I considered myself a converted sports car road racer because my real love is road racing sports cars. It wasn't running around in a circle in a big old heavy pig with, you know, 900 horsepower and a 10-inch <laughs> wide tire. I, I like the horsepower, but I liked a whole lot more, you know, downforce, a lot more braking, the ability to turn right as well as left. And so the NASCAR thing, I just never thought in a million years I'd wind up doing. But lo and behold, believe it or not, that's where I really made a name for myself was in NASCAR. But, um, you know, because even in sports cars and road racing, you can be like a six time champion like Scott Pruitt. And, you know, very few people even know who Scott Pruitt is, you know, which yeah. is a shame because Scott Pruitt was tremendous behind the wheel. You know, I've watched it firsthand because, you know, I've done 10 Rolex 24s at Daytona and, you know, he was racing for Chip Ganassi and. They were the powerhouse and I was typically with these independent teams that we were like, you know, on a shoestring budget and arm and a leg and what have you, just hoping to survive the night and what have you. So anyway, um, getting back to it. Yeah. Um, when Jordan Taylor and I won at VIR in, in 2011, that was really the culmination of, of a lot of, you know, what I consider just paying dues and, and, and sacrificing and, and doing everything to hopefully get that checkered flag. Now I'd done an amateur racing a whole bunch of times, but the difference between amateur and pro is huge. Everything has to just line up your way, you know, for you to be able to get that brass ring and cross that, that, you know, finish line first. And we were able to do it. Um, I was the lead off during that race 
and it rained like monsoon at VIR that day. And so I was uh, lead off and I you know, turned it over in like second and uh, Jordan took it to the checkered in first. And, you know, yeah, became the you know first African-American to win in the Rolex Grand Am series, which is now, you know, IMSA. So, you know, that was really, uh, you know, something I'll, I'll always cherish. I feel like it's almost like I remember it like it was yesterday. As a matter of fact, Jordan uh, posted a lightning lap in the Garage 56 Camaro recently. And he talked about behind the scenes of that whole run. And he talked about um, his first win with me at VIR. So it even means a lot to him because uh, that was his first professional racing victory. And uh, it turned out to be that that was my very first one as well. So, um, yeah, it, it means a lot to me. I love sports car road racing. You know, anytime it's on if IMSA or or even over in Europe with WEC and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I'm all about that. Like I said, I'm a fan of racing. You know, I mean, we can even start talking about Formula One, even though you said it's kind of like on the downswing for you as ramping down or whatever. But, you know, this move that Lewis Hamilton just made to go to Ferrari, I mean, who saw that coming? I mean, it was as bold a move yeah. as what he did when he left McLaren to go to Mercedes and everybody thought he was crazy, you know, and look mm -hmm. how well that paid off. So needless to say, Lewis doesn't do dumb stuff. He knows something that we don't know, and I expect big things from Ferrari. But all right, anyway, I'm sidetracking, man. We can go on for hours. <laughs> yeah, I'll go next. Yeah, I was gonna say I'll go next. So we, you know, we touched earlier on, uh, and Carl mentioned you being in Atlanta, and I'm glad that you know I'm a big proponent that people should be able to get their flowers while they can still smell them, and so I'm glad that you had that that opportunity to have that great experience. Um, but one of the things that for context, when we first started this show, you know, we we all came together from a group chat full of uh, black NASCAR fans and we made the show. We designed the intro and we wanted to have significant moments in motorsports history involving African-Americans. So we've got audio from Wendell Scott. We've got audio from Lewis Hamilton. We've got audio from Bubba. But one of the clips that we have is the audio over your qualifying attempt uh, <laughs> at Atlanta Motor Speedway from March 2006. Uh, when you qualified. So I just wondered if you could briefly just touch on that day. What are your memories of that? Uh, is there anything around that weekend that stood out to you? Obviously, it was a huge achievement for your career and helped, as you said, pushing the ball forward. Um, I remember being a kid reading the newspaper article that morning and clipping out the, the, the Sunday paper article that had your picture in it because there was a, a black man in the Cup Series you know, racing with the Jeff Gordons, the Jimmy Johnsons, you know, my idols and heroes growing up. So, you know, for me, it was a very impactful moment. But I'm just curious, what are your your memories that you have from that that experience? Well, let's put it like this. You know, people oftentimes ask me, you know, what was my most what do I feel is my most significant accomplishment? And I can say, you know, without hesitation was qualifying for my first cup race. And I didn't say racing in my first cup race, but qualifying for my first cup race because back then in 2006 there were 50 plus cars trying to make a 43 car cup series field right now mm -hmm. there's a full field of 40 and only like 36 to 38 show up so you know as long as you have a car that's cup qualified or you know that you can afford to field you can make it into a cup series race now then you had go or go homers and i was a go or go homer, which meant that if I didn't qualify, I went home. And so the pressure was immense 
for me to make it in that night. This was a Friday night before the race on Sunday, which wound up being Monday because it was rained out on fr on a Sunday. But um, the media attention was tremendous. I mean, every seems like media outlet or channel or whatever was seeking, you know, an interview with me or, or, or you know, wanted some of my time and whatever that case is, because it was such a big deal from a media standpoint. From my standpoint, I just wanted to prove that I deserve to be there, that everything that I had done throughout my racing career um, was worth it, that, you know, it, this was the culmination as far as I was concerned of everything I was telling you about before, as far as sacrifice and, and, and everything else and determination and, you know, missing out on events and, and all that kind of stuff that is required or was required for me to get to the top level of the sport. So that night, you know, um, was big for me. It was really an apprehensive scenario because during practice earlier in the day, the car was not that good. It wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. I was asking it to do certain things. It wasn't doing it. Um, but my crew chief, you know, uh, Ricky Viers, he just, you know, internalized what I was saying and, you know, just, I think had quiet confidence because I think he believed all along that I was going to be able to do it. And, and mind you, my reputation in NASCAR during that time was not the greatest racer, but a phenomenal qualifier. In other words, I've had pole positions in the truck series and stuff, and I've beaten out guys with far, you know, more experience um, and known to be extremely fast. And, you know, I've, I've done that sort of thing. And so there was a lot of, I guess, expectation or, you know, hope that I was going to be able to <laughs> put this car on my back and, and make the field. But, you know, it was really difficult trying to get waste management to commit to the program because they already had a car in the field. They had Sterling Marlin already with waste management colors in there. And it took the, um, the efforts of a guy named Carlton Yearwood, who was head of corporate relations and diversity for waste management to demonstrate what the significance of my possibly being in this race would mean to their company. And he went out on a limb. I mean, he, he stretched his neck to make sure that waste management was going to get behind me for this program. And so, you know, of course I had that pressure. I had the pressure of, you know, all the media and I had anxiety because my car wasn't quite right. But anyway, that Friday night, um, I just, you know, dug deep. I told myself I wasn't going to leave anything out there. I was either going to qualify this thing in the show or I was going to fail miserably. You know I mean? And I don't know what failing miserably was going to meant was going to mean, but it definitely wasn't going to mean that I was going to, you know, get scared or, you know, not have any kind of confidence because I've always had confidence in my ability, you know. And so everything worked out. What I asked the car to do during those two laps, it did. And one of the most, I think, um, hilarious parts about the whole thing was when, you know, Larry McReynolds and Daryl Waltrip wrote me out, wrote me off on my qualifying laps because, I didn't do my laps as conventionally as most cup drivers did. I did it the way kind of like a sports car road racer would do it, which is, you know, at that point, just get out early and then just get back to it hard as opposed to drive it all the way down to the center. And um, it stuck. It worked. I made it. A whole bunch of cars went home and, uh, you know, made my cup debut. And, you know, the outpouring of support afterwards from, you know, the black community particularly was really overwhelming. And, uh, you know, I mean, no matter 
what happened in my career from there on out, they couldn't take that away from me. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a particular reason. So I, I put together our, our intro when we first started doing the show and um, you know, I sat down over the course of a couple of weeks. Uh, we, we, we did, we did our first one and I put it together and I was like, okay, it's pretty good. And then, um, but, but leading up to it, you know, I was trying to figure out like, how do I encapsulate, like our history in the cup series. Cause we mainly talk about NASCAR. Danny has this, the, the, the second show we have uh, where we talk about other things, but the, 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 the audio clip that I included was Mike joy discussing how you were, I think only the, the fifth driver at that point in time in 2006 to start a cup race, an African-American driver start a cup race. And the end of that clip where Larry McReynolds and Daryl Waltrip are just so surprised that you making the field, I put in there. And I did that in very intentionally. Nobody ever picked up on it. I never mentioned it. But I did that intentionally because our story in this sport has been one of constantly proving, like, we we belong here. We can do this. We are as adequately, ad, adequately equipped as anybody else is. And so I'm so glad you, you touched on that because I also wanted to personally thank you because when I sat down to make this whole thing, I could not find – video of the 06 qualifying from Atlanta anywhere, but Mr. Bill Lester had that clip up on his YouTube channel and I was able to pull directly from that. So thank you for that. So, <laughs> no, yeah. absolutely. I mean, that was definitely not going to be something that went away, you know, in the annals of history to be forgotten. Right. That was going to be yeah. something that, you know, for here to, you know, posterity, whatever, eternity, yeah. it, it, somebody would be able to take a look at it. 100%. So the other question I have for you, we can see it. We can talk about your career all day and your racing deal all day. Um, you know, I've, I've been in the room with Bill Davis a couple times. I've always wanted to ask him about you, um, but never got a chance to just for a variety of reasons, because I, um, I, I, you know, my, my, my brother's business is based in trucking and in, in Arkansas, we're in Arkansas. And so like, you know, I've been around Bill Davis and all that kind of stuff, but I did want to ask you, um, so this isn't just for me, but this is for all of NASCAR Twitter, because about twice a year, the last couple of years, everybody discovers like the, in the Bill Davis days, you had some fantastic paint schemes. I've got some sitting next to my other monitor here lined up. And I wanted to ask you, and I can, I can bring them up here and show them to you. These are a few that I had some questions about. Um, and I don't know if, uh, if you will, let's see if I can bring it up here real quick. Yeah, here we go. Um, I wanted to ask you what, what brought about some of these partnerships and, and some of these, these schemes. Cause I mean, I, I, you know, I know that like your main partners at the time, uh, were, you know, rallies checkers, um, which I didn't include those, uh, waste management, but some of these we're talking about, you know, old spice, uh, you know, tamales combo, a Mars company, Levi Strauss, us army crown Royal, all state, like, you wouldn't think about those being truck series brands necessarily, at the, especially at the time when NASCAR is at its peak. And so everybody's always so curious, like how did Bill Davis racing and Bill Lester pull this off? Like what brought this about? And so since we're talking to you, I figured, you know, Hey, let's get down to the bottom of it. If you could shed any light on it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I wish, you know, that uh, they were much more significant partners of mine. Yeah. Typically they were like one and done or, you know, and it yes. wasn't any fault of minor performance or anything like that. Mm. It was really a matter of at the time NASCAR was making a commitment 
to diversity. And my paint schemes and these partnerships were, were as a result of sponsors that were partners of NASCAR having to break off a little bit of their spin to put behind my program. Mm -hmm. So I was the beneficiary of some of NASCAR's um, very early diversity initiatives. And the reason that I benefited so much from these relationships is because of my relationship with Jim France. Um, Jim has been a huge supporter of mine in NASCAR. Without the support that he provided me, I would have never lasted as long as I did. I would have probably been gone right after the Dodge program ended in 03. And then maybe I would have gone maybe a year with Toyota, but there were a lot of Toyota paint schemes that I ran that were just plain, just white, a white truck. Yep, there was no yep. partnership on it. But what uh, NASCAR offered these companies that were official partners of NASCAR was basically a um, little side conversation that said, you know what, as being an official partner, you're going to help with uh, supporting this program that we have, this diversity program, which was all as a result of Jim wanting me to do well in the sport. He wanted to, you know, give me an opportunity to be out there. And so I owe him, you know, huge, you know, great, with a lot of de uh, gratitude, debt of gratitude. And I mentioned him, you know, in my book, in my memoir um, about just how important, you know, he's been in my career because uh, it would have lasted a whole lot shorter period of time had he not been behind me. So that's what that was about. You know, a lot of these sponsorships I didn't even know about until I was in the shop and I'm like, well, okay, why is that on the truck? And they said, well, they, they've come up to help you. And I'm like, really? But, you know, it would typically be in graphics only. There was no like product support. You know, I, did, mm -hmm. I didn't see any Levi's. <laughs> I didn't see any combos, <laughs> you know. The one that I yeah. tell you I'm most proud about in terms of a relationship that I had though is Crown Royal. And, I, you know, I hope I'm not offending anybody, but uh, that, that, was, that was a good relationship. I was, I was just get, about to ask actually. <laughs> dude, man. <Yeah. laughs> I was giving Crown Royal to friends, you know, as gifts because I, was, I had so much of it that I didn't know what to do with it all. But, uh, Anyway, no, I, I, really, I really enjoyed that, uh, that partnership yeah. with, with Crown. But, um, you know, number one partner that I had was, was waste management throughout that whole truck program after, after Dodge. Mm -hmm. um, but followed closely probably by Crown Royal. They did a lot. And, and, and Checkers Rallies did a lot as well. But uh, the yep. combos was one and done. The uh, Office Depot was pretty much one and done. Um, and so on. So, um, yeah. It, what it did afford me was a whole bunch of fire suits, man. I got, I probably got still like 60 fire suits. <laughs> so it's Oh, do you get to keep those? Oh, absolutely, man. That's oh, part fantastic. Of, yeah. That's part of my legacy. Great. I got my helmets. Yeah, yeah. I got my fire suits, you know, that sort of stuff. That's oh, that's, awesome. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll go next um, just real quick. So you just mentioned the word legacy, which is what's going to lead to my next question. You know, I, I think it's, it's interesting from our perspective because we're fans and we've seen the sport grow from, you know, the fan side of the fence, but you've been on the opposite side in the garage, in the shop, um, you know, on track. And I'm just curious, what do you think about the, the interest, not the interest, but I guess the influence on racing that you've had throughout your career. And then I guess part two of that is how do you feel, you know, NASCAR in particular has progressed 
in terms of uh, diversity since your time as an active driver? You know, they're doing, you know, the stuff with the hauler. They've got a diversity program that's had several drivers. So I guess what's your your thought, one, on your legacy on racing? And then, you know, how do you think the sport of NASCAR has improved in that area? Well, I guess, you know, the best way to, for me to answer that is when I went to the track this past weekend, I had so many folks that didn't have any reason to come up and speak to me, come up and speak to me and say, wow, it is great to see you. And, you know, what are you doing? How are you doing? You haven't changed a bit, you know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, they're blowing sunshine up my rear if they're saying that, because I have changed, but <laughs> any event, um, no, I mean, that indicates to me that I had an impact on the sport, you know, because you never know, you know, I mean, um, it's not as, as if I, I won that many races, especially not in the NASCAR series. I, you know, I won in the, well, Rolex Grand Am, but, you know, in the trucks, I've, I've, I've led races, I've had pole positions, stuff like that, but I've never able to get the brass ring. So, and obviously no championships as a result, but, you know, I think people respect the, uh, the hustle, the struggle, you know, everything that I had to overcome and, you know, the things that I did as far as, you know, never speaking ill about NASCAR and, you know, never, you know, going sideways about anybody or anything that really took place. Now, of course, I would express my opinion about stuff, but I did it in a, you know, very professional, very diplomatic way. You know, I didn't go out there and, and show my rear at any point in time. I think I carried myself well. I think the fans appreciate that. And one of the things I think that is most gratifying to me is when, you know, I've been hanging out with, um, well, not hanging out, I was introduced to as well as seeing a number of the crew guys that are in the sport now and how they go, man, you don't realize how big you are or you were as far as the influence that you had on me and, you know, why I might've wanted to consider getting involved in this sport, you know, um, as, as a crew member or, or over the wall or, or whatever the case might be. And, you know, that is really uplifting to me to know that I had an impact that I made an impression on these guys and, now, when I look at the landscape, man, I mean, it's just I'm beaming with pride because it is so different than when, you know, when I was on the scene. I can only imagine what it was like for Willie T when he showed up for a handful of races. And then before that, Wendell Scott and when he what he was dealing with on a, you know, weekday, you know, weekend, week out basis. I, I can only I can't even fathom it. It's just a whole different deal, you know, because there was no such thing as diversity or acceptance or anything of, of that nature. And we have still a very long way to go. But. When I saw what I saw this past weekend, it meant a lot to me. So I know that I have, you know, a place in the history of the sport. And, you know, at this point, my legacy right now is really just trying to help others that want to become involved in the sport, whether it's NASCAR, whether it's, you know, road racing, whether it's, you know, sports cars or open wheel. I mentor a whole lot of young brothers and sisters that are out there trying to be a part of this sport because they love it. They want to be involved in it, but they don't know how. How do I get involved? You know, I mean, what, what, what are the things that I need to do? You know, do I need to get involved in this series? Should I, should I consider that? You know, that, and I'll try to give them some direction in terms of, you know, hey, this is what I would recommend you do. You know, first off, where do you want to go? Where do you see yourself in the future? What series do you see yourself racing in? And then, and then I'll sometimes say, well, why are you goofing around in this series? And well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, this is my, how you might want to course correct that. So you can get to really where you want to go, you know, instead of maybe being sidetracked because, you know, you only, especially now 
these drivers are getting younger and younger and they don't have time. I mean, you know, I broke the mold when I showed up on the professional scene at 40 years of age. That's not going to ever happen again. You know, so, you know, I'm trying to give these, um, you know, these young folks as much direction as I can and support them as much as I can, because it's, um, you know, relieving to me to see that so many of us want to be involved. I just wish the playing field was more level. You know, that's the thing that I just hate about it. It is a money driven sport. You know, it is not a stick and ball sport where you show up with your talent here. You show up with your checkbook first, typically, and your helmet second. And that's just not even right. And people say, you know, OK, well, why aren't there more of us in the sport? And I say it's because of two things, exposure and opportunity. You have to be exposed at it at a very young age. You know, you got to find out if this is something that you love at a young age. And if you're exposed to it, then you have to have the opportunity to participate. And that requires funding. That requires dollars. You just don't, you know, it's almost like telling LeBron James, okay, LeBron, you know, you got handles, you got, you can jump out of the gym. You can see behind your, you know, you got eyes in the back of your head. So, okay. So now bring, you know, X millions of dollars and and, and you can play basketball. That's how it is nowadays. And, you know, I call these drivers, these youngsters out there now trust fund kids because the common denominator amongst just about all of them is that there's money in the family. And how many, you know, black families can afford to put a kid in their single digit years at their go-kart level, you know, their impressionable years on a national karting championship to the tune of six figures, because that's what it costs now. You can easily spend over a hundred thousand dollars for a kid, five, six, eight years old to race nationally, trying to get a karting championship per year. I mean, you know, there are a whole lot of them that can afford to do it. It's, you know, pennies falling out of their pockets. But for us, it's an insane amount of money, typically. And what if you all of a sudden decide, you know, at 14 as a teenager or something like that, you know what, I don't want to race anymore. I want to do something else. I'm interested in this or that or the other. How many families that have basically sacrificed everything, you know, private schooling, everything that's required for them to chase a national championship at a young age can afford to just say, okay, well, we spent, you know, half a million dollars, whatever the case is. Okay, no big deal. Not a whole lot of families. So, it's a very, very, very difficult scenario, especially when you consider when you're at the top rung of the ladder and you're at the Cup Series, you are one of 40, or at the case may be now, one of 36, 38. But effectively, you are one of 40. You are not one of the, you know, 600, 600 what, football players, 300 football players or four or 500, whatever, Major League Baseball players, or whatever. You are one of 40. That's it. The opportunities are few and far in between. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's disappointing from that perspective, but, you know, I didn't make the rules, but I just try to make it as clear to people as possible what it is you are trying to achieve when you set yourself down this path. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, that's why I didn't mean to jump in front of anybody, but when people talk about, you know, um, like Raj's, like Roger Cruz's path to the truck series or like Bubba Wallace's like path to 2311, right? People want to fall back on like so bad uh the excuse of or you know they talk about like rev racing and like you know people like um nick sanchez and lavar scott and stuff like that people want to fall back so quickly on like how it's discriminatory that um there's an organization or interest or dei initiatives that are giving these people money to race but it's like well i mean you're talking about a sport that isn't in our that isn't within our reach as far as geographically right Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and so like that's the number one thing is like we are not in the same rooms with the people that are able to like help elevate you to the next series. You talked about being friends 
with um uh with one with uh, with Jim France, right? Like they're like NASCAR doesn't operate in areas where people can you know black people can just reach out and just make make those kind of connections, and so that's why just to drive home what you're saying, like that's why like those organizations are so important. That's why like moments like what Bubba Wallace had in 2020 is so important. Like one thing that will always stick out to me is a cornerstone of like what it's like to be black in NASCAR specifically. And I try not to get off on these tangents on this pod because well, we don't want to be preachy. But one thing that will always stick to me when we have those discussions is like the end of 2014, right? We don't know what Bubba Wallace is doing the following season. Um, you know, KBM is like, you know, hey, we don't really have him signed. JGR is like, we don't really have any plans for him. And Kyle Bush, who is one of the best to ever do it, is like, look, Bubba can, your kid can drive. That's not even the question. The situation is nobody wants to pay for it, mm-hmm. you know? And so he's just in a free fall. So it's just like, you know, just to sum up what you're saying, I mean, yeah, that is the, the unfortunate side of all this. And that's why I'm so glad now to see there being so many strides made in every avenue of the sport from its fans and people like us to the people inside of the sport, the teams to start having these conversations and hopefully broaden it to where maybe that road isn't as hard for, you know, you know, the, uh, the next one coming up, you know I mean? Um, Arthur talks all the time about the best driver we could ever possibly see is probably sitting on a couch somewhere because they don't know how to make it, you know, into the sport. The, the best driver this series might ever see in the modern day could be a, you know, a young Hispanic kid or a young, you know, black kid or something. And hopefully we're making the inroads now to where in, in, in five years or so, then making that next step to try to partner with people that are going to fund that way up um, because you have to have money to make it is a lot easier than what it's been for a long period of time. And your conversation about, you know, just, just speaking to like how hard it was to get waste management to sign off on, Two cup races because I think you guys had two, right? It was Atlanta and Dover. Am I right about that? It was going to be a three uh, race program with Atlanta, right. Michigan, and California Speedway. Oh, that's right. Okay, okay. And I failed to qualify California because I pushed it so hard because that's what it was. Yeah. Where, yeah, it wasn't where it was yeah. supposed to be, and I overstepped it and spun it, so I didn't take a start in California. But it was a right. three race program. Yeah. And you know what? They spent like nine, eight or nine, eight or nine hundred thousand. You know, it's almost like three, three hundred thousand a race. And just from the race at Atlanta, the stats showed that they achieved like $26 million in measured media attention. So the return on investment was phenomenal. They even came yeah. back and said, you know what? I wish we were committed to Sterling Marlin because yeah. you know, <laughs> the amount of exposure you generate is phenomenal. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, it, it was more close to that number, but uh, it's it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I'm sorry, I don't remember who I stepped over. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> You're good, yeah. Danny. You got you got another question, Danny? Um, I do actually. Just uh, a quick one. So the funny thing is, you know, you know, lots of talk about, you know, what at least what I have seen perceived online about your, uh, you know, your cup starts. But you know, I actually got to know you through uh, trucks. I was a very little kid at the time. It must be said. Um, <laughs> but. Um, you know, same thing. I want to say it was thumbing through. It might have been road and track, and they might have done a brief thing on you. I mean, this would have been circa like 2000 or 2001. So details are a little fuzzy. I probably should have tried to go dig out that issue just to confirm. But but it, you know, and then one of the things it talks about is um, 
and this is something I didn't uh, didn't remember until just doing a quick search before we got started. But you and um, uh, Mr. Norfleet racing at the same time, and I think that that is absolutely wild. I didn't remember that that was a thing. But to have, I think that's the only time that you have had two black drivers active in any series. Uh, if my stats are correct, I'm sure somebody will correct me. But that's just, that's wild. And I'm curious to know what the chatter at the time would have been like if there was any at all. Certainly, this is well before the uh, commoditization of the internet. But still, I'd be interested to know what kind of word on the ground was. So, you know... That race was Portland. It was a road course, road race uh, at that time in the trucks. So that was in 2000. And um, it was the first time that I think, you know, there were two black drivers um, at the same time in the same event. But don't hold me to that. But that's what I believe. It was historic from that perspective, in my, if memory serves. But since then, you know, there was a race where Willie, myself and a guy named Tim Woods raced, um, I think it was South Boston. Um, and that was like the first time that there have been three black drivers in a truck series. Um, so, you know, there's, there's been some, you know, some historic moments I've been a part of, but um, yeah, you know, that Portland race was really nothing to get excited about because I was in a truck that was set up to turn left <laughs> on a road course that was primarily turning right. It was clockwise. So, First time I went into turn one and stepped on the brakes and the thing damn near hooked into the wall. Um, my eyes were as big as saucers, but um, <laughs> no, I, I understand and appreciate the historical, you know, perspective and significance of it all. Um, but uh, you know, I, I just think there's more to come. I, I see that there's more of us um, that are out there that are, that are trying to get the opportunities that are, are trying to, to be on that platform. So yeah, Bill. Um, like like I said, uh, I, when when we put this pod together and we started having like real conversations about getting to talk to drivers and stuff like that, like I mean, immediately you were the first person to come to mind for me. And I just want to tell you, I, I know that you know this, but I want you to hear it. Um, like all of us, you know, I, you know, Daniela, myself, Arthur, Jarrett have all been fans for over a decade, if not longer. I know me and Arter in the 20 plus year cub, me and Jared, I think are as well, you know, I mean, dating back to, I mean, you know, Winston cup days, I mean, and, and, um, you know, Danielle's been there for a long time as well. I mean, I, I have lived, slept and eat and I've lived, eaten, slept racing since I was like a little kid. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want, you know, this, this podcast was born out of, the conversation of, you know, we need to show people that we've always been here. We've always been fans. We've always been as in depth and know what we're talking about. Just like the other groups of people who feel like we've only shown up because of, because of Bubba or because of, you know, wokeness or whatever the case may be pandering, whatever you want it to be. And I want you to know that, you know, you seeing you make that cup race in 06 to me is always going to be a core memory. I mean, I, I mean, I watched the Daytona, you know, 500 that um, Dylan Hart senior one like live. And I have more of a memory of you making the cup race and that because growing up in Arkansas, for me, 
and and being a big Jeff Gordon kid and, and being told by everybody, not just white people, black people too, like, oh, NASCAR isn't a sport. You know, you shouldn't like you shouldn't like that sport. It's not for you. They don't want you there, X, Y, and Z. And so seeing you, I know you maybe won't do, always define it as success, but seeing you perform at the levels you performed at as late in your career as you did and being around for as long as you did will always serve as vindication to me. And I think a lot of people that, that we made the right choice. We're not going to be scared away. We're not going to be like, you know, told that it's not for us or gate kept away. It has always meant the world to me. This is a, certainly a highlight of mine, probably for the rest of the year to get to talk to you. But also what that night in 06 started is where we're at now. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that it really put in the minds of a lot of people, and I'm sure you do, that, this is that that us being in the sport is is not only possible but sustainable and it's achievable and we and we bring quality to racing in in this country and like like anybody else does you know and so i just from the bottom of my heart want to really say thank you because i'm sure there were moments where you felt like you know what am i doing is this really worth it you know i'm, I'm i don't even i can't imagine what was said to you and stuff like that you know cuz i've heard some stories about what Bobby Hamilton racing was like, what BDR was like, you know, stuff like that. So I can only imagine, but from the bottom of my heart, I really and truly want to say thank you for all that you've done for the sport from, from then to now. I don't think there's a driver out there that is accessible as you are. And I want you to understand that. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, as far as all that stuff. So like I said, thank you for all that you've done. This is being really, really awesome. I would have never imagined a year ago that I would have gotten this opportunity or anybody. So thank you for that so much. I really appreciate it. That's all I had for this whole deal. So. Wow, Carl. Listen, man, I appreciate it. I mean, I can tell just how heartfelt that was. And, and it means a lot to me because like you said, you know, you just never know if anybody's watching or if anybody cares and, you know, was it all worth it? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. I could have led a very different life. You know, people were saying, man, you are successful as a research and development project manager. And I'm like, no, I'm not successful because I'm not happy. I wanted to not live a life I coulda, woulda, shoulda. I had a passion to race cars and I didn't wanna look back on it and, and not take the chance, take the risk. I didn't wanna live a life of regrets. And so, um, you know, it worked out. It could have easily gone the other way. You know, people said, you know, look, why would you do this? You don't know if you're gonna make it. You, you're making a six-figure salary, you're managing a couple dozen, you know, software development engineers, you are successful. And I'm like, no, I'm not happy, so I'm not successful. So, you know, I did as a result of what I, you know, sacrificed and, and, and what was I was able to accomplish, I feel, lead a successful life. So I'm glad it all worked out. And for you to tell me what, you know, you don't, what you just told me, it means a lot to me because I can tell, you know, that's, that's real. That's real love. And so yeah. thank you, man. I appreciate you. Hey, man, not a problem. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I got. Uh, Jared Art, Danielle, you guys got anything else? I mean, you kind of can't go back and ask anything else after you just dropped the mic on us, Carl. (laughs) (laughs) Hard to follow that. Uh, Yeah. You know, but, um, we, we, we have some, some questions for off air, but as far as on air, um, if you're not already following Bill, um, at Bill underscore Lester on Twitter, make sure you guys, uh, grab a copy of his book winning in reverse um we just want to thank you again for taking the time uh, to meet with us and greet with us um and i know um like we said earlier in the show all of us are on the, on the black 
NASCAR Facebook page. So they're going to be really excited um, that the Black NASCAR podcast got a chance to, to interview one of the greats. So um, we'll, uh, we'll let you know when this releases so we can all share that for the masses. But um, we appreciate you guys for listening, taking the time, and uh, we'll talk to y'all soon. See you later. See you.